Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, March 13th, 2008. Hello. Spring is rapidly approaching. It is time to clear out the clutter, release the old, and make room for the new. (laughs) Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. I am a metaphysician clairvoyant and clairaudient intuitive, writer, public speaker, leader, and spiritual teacher. I am honored to have on the show tonight Anna Maria Hemingway, the author of Practicing Conscious Living and Dying, Stories of the Eternal Continuum of Consciousness, published by O Books in January of 2008. The book is a collection of powerful and thought-provoking real-life stories that illustrate how each of the individuals concerned has come to terms with the inevitability of death and how it can motivate people to live a richer, more meaningful life filled with purpose and as a celebration of existence. The personal accounts embedded within this book offer the opportunity to expand our limited awareness of consciousness and address timeless questions. Anna Maria is a member of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, a spiritual counselor, and is a Ph.D. candidate currently writing her dissertation on the near-death experience, a mythic model for conscious living and dying. Her writing work includes both articles and books, is primarily focused on various aspects of conscious living and dying. Ms. Hemingway offers inspiration and a spiritually uplifting look at a most relevant topic for all those in pursuit of a deeper truth about our eternal existence. Tonight, Anna Maria and I will take a meaningful look into the infinite nature of consciousness that is experienced through near-death experiences, after-death communication, or engagement with someone who is experiencing the delicate process of dying, as was discussed in her enlightening book, Practicing Conscious Living and Dying Stories of the Eternal Continuum of Consciousness. Welcome, Anna Maria. Hi, it's good to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you. Tell me about the evolution of this phenomenal book. Well, it started really um, as an idea in my mind. Um, I was curious about the whole death and dying process and wanted to expand my own knowledge a few years ago. And then, like everybody else does at some time or other in life, I had to face the fact that um, my mother was suffering from a terminal illness, and this was the transition that she was making. And this was a very profound and sacred journey for the two of us. But afterwards, I realized how For many of us in Western cultures, death is really viewed as the ultimate failure. You know, when medical knowledge can't prolong life, when somebody is dying, we have such a denial about death being part of the natural life cycle that we're totally unprepared to deal with it 
um, when it comes into our lives. So my idea was to kind of look at the whole aspect of death from, from many different ways and to try and sort of help people perhaps through real life stories and through the texts that I gathered to expand their knowledge about the death and dying process and perhaps then view it in a slightly different way which not only helps us to deal with death when it comes into our lives but it also perhaps prepares us to understand that how embracing death as, as a natural part of the life cycle again actually helps us change the way we view life and the way we live it. Absolutely. It's very powerful. And it gives, I think, people the opportunity, and you do a great job in the book, to really look within and find what's meaningful to them and then act upon that. And I found that the most inspirational part of the book for me was the stories that were embedded within it. I mean, I was just in tears <laughs> at each story um, at the amount of will and human spirit that was involved to really motivate each person to find their their calling or their path through the through the experience of death. And one of the stories was Peter's story who he experienced a young child with Sean who had a brain tumor, and then he was led to start a foundation to reach out to children like him. And that was just profound. It was inspiring, and it's just it was really amazing the power that you brought to the book by using these real-life stories to illustrate it's something we will all come across at one point or another. And when we do, what we, embra- what we can embrace through that experience can be life-changing. Well, I think so, and I think, you know, story has such tremendous power. You know, words are the way that we communicate with each other on a certain level. You know, and hearing stories actually gives us the opportunity to to really sort of look inside ourselves as as we're listening or as we read something. And actually, you know, the stories then can transform the way that perhaps we look at things too. And, you know, I think all the stories are very powerful. And um, it's also very interesting to me that um, my objective was for the stories to be inspirational and uplifting, not morbid, as one might imagine if if you were reading a book on this subject matter. And, and I think that that... You know, it is what's happened. People do find these stories very inspirational and um, it can help change their own views and outlooks on, on what death can actually teach us because like everything else, you know, everything has a bipolar aspect and when we look at death, we, we normally think of grief and suffering and loss and trauma and as human beings, we, we do suffer all those emotions when we lose someone or face our own mortality. But death actually, <clears throat> I believe, um, shows us a lot more because embedded, I like that word you used, within that, there is also the fact that you know the feminine sacred energy is often very profoundly felt during the dying process, and um, it brings a new level of understanding too. Yes, I, I, it, was, it was an amazing 
amazing experience for me to see all of the facets of death that you brought together from the historical and the cultural and the philosophical and, and, and the scientific. It was really amazing. I think you did a fabulous job at taking the evolution of death and from all aspects and then bringing it into a meaningful story and then illustrating that with people's live stories and experiences and how they were transformed. So the book overall, Practicing Conscious Living and Dying, Stories of the Internal Continuum of Consciousness, is a a very uplifting book. It's inspiring, and I think it, it can really offer people perceived control over their life to really make a change and to find what's meaningful and to live that. And when I say the stories brought me to tears, I mean tears of joy, of hope, of inspiration, of the ability to take what I've experienced and make it meaningful to others and the service element. So that is is what this book brought for me, and I'm so excited to share it tonight with others. <laughs> so thank you again. <laughs> well, thank you, you know, for... Um being able to sort of express that because it's really good to hear other people actually you know mirror back what it was you were trying to achieve and um you know and show you or show me that actually you know that that it has happened for you yes 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 your goal was achieved <laughs> for me <laughs> Great. So, you know, the book does a really awesome job. It says, um, overall, I really got the impression of the message that we are eternal souls on an eternal journey. And it didn't matter matter if it was through the story of a near-death experience or actually through the process of dying. I really felt the message came loud and clear is that we are eternal souls on an eternal journey. And was that one of your prime messages through this? Yes, I think, um, you know, our denial of death actually excludes us from expanding this kind of awareness around the death and dying process that, you know, the idea of it being a transition from one phase of life to another. And so um, I think by actually not embracing but perhaps expanding this knowledge and, you know, looking at these stories, we kind of see that they, they say the same thing all the time. And, you know, I, I, I love nature and the natural world. And I think, again, that, you know, the natural world and the cycles and rhythms of the natural world give us examples every day of um, the idea of this continuum of consciousness You know, even if we look outside and we suddenly think, oh, there's some blossom on that tree, it didn't come overnight. It was a continuum, a process of renewal and rebirth. And I think that, you know, part of this message is actually reconnecting with the fact that there are loads of pointers all around us, um, as I said, in the natural world, in the core teachings of sacred and ancient texts, in the stories from near-death experiences, from philosophers down through the ages, um, through after-death communication, through everyone having, I believe, some sort of um, experience during their life which they can't rationally explain, whether it's one of the things I've mentioned or something else. I think they come 
all come from the same place. I happen to be using death as this illustration. But I think whatever it is that really stays with us and is an experience that we can't rationally explain is always pointing to the fact that there's more than we think going on. And I believe that you know a lot of the um, information around us is, as I said, illustrating one way or another that a possible continuum of consciousness, you know, is what happens after physical death. And I, I like the idea now that we we seem as a culture to be perhaps using this word transition rather than death. And I think, you know, for us all in the collective unconscious that perhaps this is a move towards viewing death in a slightly different way. Very true. I, I think that's true for myself. My grandmother, last year, she transitioned, as the word I would use. And I, I have a very Catholic family, and they're very, um, you know, religious and orderly. And so they would say, well, her death. And, and so they all started to pick up on my word transition and thought that that was a more valuable way for them to look at it. And I was glad I could offer that. But for me, being clairvoyant and also um, being having you know spiritual mediumship capabilities, I absolutely experienced that there is um, no death for the spirit, only for the physical body. So I, I don't need to be convinced of that. Um, I experienced that, but I know for many, it's they're not aware of that sensory experience. And I think transition is a beautiful way of just saying we go from one vibration to another, or from one place to another. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think. Sorry, I, I think that really helps us, you know, perhaps look at things in a slightly different way because, you know, when we suffer all this grief and loss um, in the dying process, of course, we mourn and we grieve mainly because we won't have the physical presence of a loved one in our life any longer. And that is a very difficult thing to come to terms with. And um, grief and suffering is enormous, and it takes time to, to work through. But I think at the same time, we tend to look at this you know, decaying physical body and think that that is all that's going on. And, of course, the, the body, you know, does decay. And so often when we're with a person and, and we see this, that, that's all we're really seeing, rather than this idea that the body itself perishes, but the soul continues. And, um, you know, I like very much um, what the Buddha said about death, you know, really, really on his deathbed telling people to sort of, look at death as being a motivating force for life. And I, and I think that that is so true. And I agree. And I do have to say that your book has done a very, very great job at bringing that quote to life. So congratulations on that. And, you know, I love, love, and truly appreciate the quotes throughout the book from Plato and Socrates and many others there are just some beautiful, beautiful quotes. One of them, if a man neglects education, he walks lame to the end of his life. And that was a quote you entered for Sally's story. And there are just many beautiful quotes that capture the essence that early philosophers were looking at this topic. And then here we are today reevaluating it to hopefully shed more light upon it. But 
of course, referring to their great wisdom. Yes, well, the first section of the book was actually on uh, near-death experiences. The book's divided into three different sections, but the first section is about near-death experiences and and gives stories of some near-death experiences, as it were. And, um, you know, again, perhaps people tend to think that the near-death experience itself is some new age, new thing that's just come up into public awareness. But, you know, Plato used the near-death experience at the end of, you know, his famous work, The Republic, to illustrate how practicing dying was a way to understand how to live one's life better and um, he recounted the myth of Ur which was a near-death experience now when we look at how long ago that was I felt that that was a very inspirational part place for me and so I decided to use you know a, a, a Plato quote if I could find one to head up all the stories and interestingly enough I managed to find one that fit all the very many different stories and different aspects I was covering so it sort of felt you know like it was a continuum of this eternal message and that's one of the reasons that I that I used his quotes very beautiful and I see it as a spiral evolution and we're really in a place where we're in a spiritual rebirth as a species we're really looking to the truth of who we are as a whole. And I think your book explores the spiritual realm through experiential stories that really can reach out to readers who are curious about there being more but don't quite grasp how there's more or what is more. And these stories in each one is so unique, but there's an over, overlapping theme among them all that they can help someone who's just there's a curious energy of, what is death about? Is there really more? I wonder if my mom really is around me, which are questions that I receive very often with my clients. I think this book does a great, great job at addressing that and allowing someone to really explore the, the dimensions other than the third dimension in a way that can really help transform who they are without having to have a near-death experience themselves. Yes, well, that I think that is the power of story. Um, and that is why, you know, I, I like to give a lot of factual information so that I'm not just giving a story that has no backup. But at the same time, I like to then match that with a story because I think, you know, we want to hear about other people's experience. We don't want just a load of facts, which may be interesting. We want to know, well, has someone actually experienced that? You know, what's their version? And when we look at it, at it like that and we see this person could be living down the road or someone we know, it could even be ourselves. That actually, you know, brings something very powerful into the equation. Um, we're looking at something that has happened and we're reading an account of it and this is an ordinary person just like us. And, um, and I think that that is why story is so powerful. Yes, and particularly, you know, for me, so powerful with this topic of death and is there a fourth dimension. I mean, even though I am clairvoyant and I interact with the other dimensions, I'm still socialized and have grown up in a culture that does not receive death or the topic of death in is, you know, as necessarily a normative thing. 
or a highly desirable topic of conversation. And so I think this book could not be more pivotal, and the timing is just perfect, to really help people wake up. So not only is it this power of story, but it's the power of the topic, seeing other people experience light beings and the music and the uh, presence of divine love in, in many different forms. And, I mean, just being a part of something more, in a story, it, it's, it, it helps people to find the meaning of life, the meaning of who they are. So I think the story here is important, but I think just the power of the topic integrated with that story creates the most optimal um, possibility for the reader to walk away with a greater sense of their purpose, their meaning, or their existence beyond this physical body and with the name of Jennifer Smith or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. It was really, yeah, really... Yeah. I... Go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you. I, You know, I, I'm i a student of myths, so story, you know, again, um, when we look at these ancient myths, these resurrection myths, um, <clears throat> we're actually hearing the same thing, and, and that's what's the fascinating thing, you know, that this story or this 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 core truth has been passed down in so many different ways down the ages. And um, to me, the near-death experience is sort of recapitulating on those same eternal truths. And as I said earlier, I think part of the problem is that we have become so disconnected. And in a way, you know, we would all live our lives very differently if we reconnected with this idea of, ourselves being, you know, on a spiritual journey, that life itself is part of this spiritual journey. And I I was very um, taken with the words of the astronauts. Um, there was a movie recently by Ron Howard, and he was talking to and interviewing astronauts that had been to the moon, and their comments were very much in the, in the same um line if you like they were actually saying that when they were on the moon and they were looking back at the earth they suddenly realized that earth actually is you know this round globe in the middle of infinite time and space and it looked very fragile and they could see the blue of the ocean and the brown of the earth and just looking at it amongst this sort of galaxy of of other, you know, planets and stars actually just reacquainted them kind of in in a in a second with the idea that everything is connected and that, you know, we are all in this sort of timeless space. And I think we tend to forget that, you know, when we look at the moon, when, when the moon comes out at night, we're not, we're sort of thinking of ourselves down here, looking up there. Actually, mm-hmm. we are up there too. So it, it's very much how we've sort of adapted our way of thinking, you know, um, to be so sort of materially driven and um, we we see success as meaning very different things and understanding about life meaning very different things. And, um, you know, this, this really isn't the case. It's because we have lost this 
connection to the ultimate reality of existence. Yes. So we are talking with Anna Maria Hemingway, author of Practicing Conscious Living and Dying, Stories of the Eternal Continuum of Consciousness. You can find her on the web at www.practicingconsciouslivinganddying.com. Again, that's www.practicingconsciouslivinganddying.com. You can also find her on the web at www.o-books.com. You can purchase the book on that website or at Amazon.com or, of course, at your local bookstore. You can pick it up. So, Anna Maria, will you be appearing so our audience members can connect with you at any book signings or workshops, classes that are coming up here? Well, I have got things in the pipeline for later in the year, and I actually will be posting things on my website as, um, you know, I'm a little clearer on exact dates um, and times. Um, I am doing a book signing in Ventura at um, Things from Heaven, which is in Main Street, Ventura. Um, People in, if anyone's listening from that area, they may well know um, things from heaven, which is called by most locals in Ventura, the Angel Store. So that is on the 10th of May, Saturday, the 10th of May, from one to four. But as I say, I hope to be listing, um, you know, other venues and workshops as the dates actually get settled. Okay, great. So we, we um, for now, we have things from heaven in Ventura on Saturday, May 10th, from one to four. And then for the future classes or to connect with Anna Maria, you can just stay in tune with her website and she'll list the upcoming workshops and classes. I believe you said you would hold some workshops, some more book signings, and some other possibilities in there. That's exciting. <laughs> yes, yes it is. Great. So, you know, this book also, What another thing I found a really important point that came across to me was just how intertwined life and death really is. Can you touch upon that? Yes. Um, Well, I I think, you know, um, the best way of illustrating that is, as I said earlier, by looking to the cycles of the natural world. You know, there's this continual process of birth, death, and rebirth. And, you know, death really is so much a part of life because, of course, You know, it is our ultimate um, destination, if you like. And so all the way through our lives, we are actually, you know, we are walking with death, if if you like to put it like that. And so what does this mean in the way we live our lives? Well, I think like we sort of just covered most of that in as much as if we start to view death differently, we can expand our consciousness around this whole idea, what does physical death mean? And I think for most people, fear and anxiety and denial really sort of cut this subject off. You know, it's something that's not discussed. It's sort of like only something that happens to other people or we only deal with it when we really have to, you know, when we lose someone ourselves. 
Um, so we fail to sort of encompass this transition that we, we were speaking of earlier into our daily lives at all. And I think that actually cuts us off from feeling all sorts of things because the dying process itself um, can be a very sacred journey, you know. This same kind of psychic sensitivity that we were speaking of earlier can be activated in the dying process. And the dying process is the one thing that can make us the most authentically human. And the reason for this is that death strips away everything that is unimportant and actually leaves us with what, well, what is important here. So engaging with somebody in this process can have a very transformative effect, not only in our healing of ourselves and our relationships, perhaps, you know, as we go on that journey with the dying person, but can also give us a very different sense, an inner sense of who we are, what we really believe in, what's really important to us. And I don't think that there's perhaps anything as great as death that comes into our life that can actually teach us that. Very well put. It, that's very true. And I think that when we are staring death at, um, whether it be through another's experience or through our own experience, near-death experience, it, it really does put into perspective that there is nothing else. It's we're, we're standing there facing ourselves and our greatest fear. And I think that <clears throat> this book just does a phenomenal, phenomenal job at really helping a person stare at that fear in a lighthearted, uplifting way where they can walk away and feel encouraged and feel hopeful and feel an understanding. I think, you know, what I really appreciate about your approach is that balanced perspective of incorporating not only emotional um, energy and personal experience, but incorporating that philosophical, scientific, historical. It allows someone to walk away not feeling like they've entered into an, um, just an emotional space, which is generally what death, the idea of death in this culture surrounds that emotional energy. And I just think, again, this book offers so much healing because it does offer that balanced sense with it. And I think, for me, it also offered a sense of direction. I was very validated with understanding how important it is to live meaningfully in the moment and to embrace my ideas of service and, and value to others. And, you know, I felt like, for, for myself that I almost had a near-death experience without actually having the experience several years ago, and that's what put me onto this path I'm currently on now. And so I think that it re-inspired me and validated me that the direction I am taking is helping me to live in that moment, and, and it was really felt really, really good. So I think the reader can walk away with several messages from engaging with, with the ideas and the stories and the philosophies that you that you bring in here. And I think the most valuable experience or the most touching experience for me was really the personal experience of your mother's death. That was a really powerful element and actually what inspired you to then write this book, correct? It was, yes. It was. Um, I felt very much that my mother's process and this, this incredible journey that I took with her. And, I, you know, I want to say here that a few years ago, 
I was probably the same as anybody that may read the book. You know, I I had my own fears and denials about death myself. But when my mother was actually, you know, it was obvious that she was in this process, I'd done quite a lot more um, research into this whole thing by then. And I really decided that I wanted to be fully present with her in the best way that I possibly could. And, um, you know, it, it became a journey of incredible insights. And, um, you know, when we talk about all the things that can be, that can happen, rather, in the dying process, there are lots of things that if we are fully present, we can experience with a dying person, again, that give us a very sort of, you know, a big clue that something else is going on. And in the book, you know, I also mentioned deathbed visions, which, um, you know, a dying person, and my mother certainly experienced at the time. And, you know, all these sorts of things can often be dismissed as hallucinations or drugs or all sorts of things. But actually, if we really are there and see the powerful things that are happening, especially to the person we're with that, you know, perhaps can access this information because they are leaving this world and moving on, we can be privy to some incredible experiences, and that was my experience. And um, I really had a very strong feeling that, you know, as I went through this this process with my mother, this book was born in me, and that, you know, part of her gift to me was to to see that and understand it and realize that, you know, I needed to write it. So it was a very profound um experience and I guess you know I kind of think her death actually was the birth of this book and in a sense to me she you know she is in this continuum in the book too not just as I you know my own after-death communication which again was very powerful for me but um, you know that has she has been with me sort of every step of the way as I've been writing this and that um, it was part of this journey too. And I think all the stories that um, are in the book sort of reflect that same core element that you mentioned service um, earlier on. And one of the things that the near-death experiencers, um, people who have had after-death communication or just being with somebody in the dying process, they've all sort of come to this place of, of interconnection, of reestablishing the fact that we're interconnected. And service seems to be the outcome of for many of these people, that their lives take on this new meaning, that for many of us sometimes we have these gifts and abilities and we never really find out what we're meant to do with them. But um, for all of these people, it has become very clear to them what they are meant to do. And this does involve service to other people in many, many different ways. And I think one of the most interesting stories in the near-death experience section is that of Larry Hagman, because, you know, to outward appearances, Larry would 
appear to have everything that we would think was important in life, fame, wealth, um, a big house, all these sorts of things. But Larry himself, you know, had this quest, this inner quest to find out the meaning of life. And his own two near-death-like experiences actually gave him that answer. And as a result, you know, we see him very, very actively engaged in all sorts of charitable um, organizations now that he <clears throat> he found that deeper meaning for himself as well and it actually radically changed the way he lived his life and I think transformation you know is such a wonderful word and um, that the stories are transformative because each of these individuals is living life in a slightly different way now and, uh, you know, we were talking earlier before we, we started about um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I like to think of, you know, she is very much featured in the book because the first person that I actually interviewed for this book was a lady called Joanne. Um, and Joanne's story is in the book and, and does actually feature Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her story. Um, you know, uh Joanne actually lost her daughter in a stillbirth, and from that, this whole new journey and evolution took place within her that actually led her to continuing Elizabeth's work in, in many ways. So it's almost as though it's like passing down the eternal flame, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. I, I found that with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her work had laid such a fundamental foundation for death in so many, so many ways. And I think that that story, Joanne, is beautiful. And I think that, you know, I just want to thank her in spirit for laying the foundation for you and for this book and for this topic to really come out. And I know with my own grandmother's death, again, my most recent experience with transition, she had hospice coming in and helping her for the last six months of her life. And so she was experiencing the um, hallucinations and they were attributing it to the medicine, but she was basically communicating with most of her family, her mom, her aunt, her sisters, her aunts, and she would talk to us as if we, as if we were them. So we were experiencing yes. her going in and out. And so that was really neat for me because it was a part of my philosophy of death. But for my family members, they were very confused, and so I was a buffer there <laughs> to help them understand that she was detaching and, and she was entering into spirit and then returning for a brief moment or two <laughs> to understand well, the process. True, yes. yes, yes, so it was very beautiful for me to experience that. And I think it is important to bring the awareness of those sorts of experiences that do accompany that dying process to really validate people and to validate their loved ones who are experiencing it. It's healing for them. It's healing for us. It's a (laughs) win-win. It is. And, of course, um, again, this idea of the psychopomp, which is a term that was used for, um, for someone who would come to accompany the dying person into the next realm is not a new thing. It's not just people, modern day people, having drugs and hallucinating about seeing someone coming to fetch them or being there 
telling them to, they they can go with them. And my mother experienced these kind of visions. And, um, you know, again, throughout history, there have been detailed accounts of um, these deathbed visions. Um, Olis, um, Osis, I think his name was, um, wrote a book at the hour of death, which, you know, really details a lot of these accounts. And um, it's another important thing that we could, you know, not get involved in and attribute to something else. Whereas if we expand a little, there is the possibility that, um, you know, we get the sense that no one actually makes this transition alone. Um, there were um, accounts that uh, actually stated that Jesus did visit Mary several hours before her death in order to tell her that he would be coming himself to accompany her. So, again, you know, we got this core message coming through. Regardless of what faith you are, um, you know, it comes through many, many different strands, whether it's it's through my book or, or through you know, reading these these different sort of even detailed medical studies because the interesting thing for me having worked in hospice is that most people, again, may have, you know, a, an image in their mind of, you know, somewhere where someone goes to die and gloom and doom, but often people come away from having being with somebody in the dying process and they use words like beautiful, peace, serene and you know that again denotes the fact that there is this something else going on in this sanctity of transition from the from the physical realm so all of these um deathbed visions you know may well be signifying the same thing you know in ancient shamanism you know, there was a specific shaman that actually took the form of a bird that was said to come to, you know, accompany the dying into the next realm. So this isn't a new thing. It goes back over and over centuries. And um, I, can, I know I keep stressing this point, but I really want to kind of maximize the fact that there are so many different pointers, you know, to what else is going on during this whole process of death and what death actually means that, you know, just by investigating some of them, we start to think a little differently. Yes, and I think you do a really great job in the book, Practicing Conscious Living and Dying. You do a wonderful job at really reiterating the history to these sorts of acknowledgement of this transition, the way that you know, some cultures would do that for their youth or other cultures would do that with a wedding celebration. You know, there were cultures that celebrated that death transition or just acknowledged it. But in this culture today, we have, in a sense, put ourselves in a box and are in high denial, and here we are trying to change that to acknowledge the death. So I think it's important to really understand the depth of the history as you've presented here to then really be able to grasp the message with its power that this is a message that has sustained through time, sustained through space, and can really has the power to transform and change your life if you walk away from the experience or the concepts that 
that this book and that death can offer to one um, on earth in their experience. So I think that it's really neat that you're attending a PhD program and you're currently working on the near-death experience, a mythic model for conscious living and dying. How is that going? Um, it's going very well, thank you. Um, I think, you know, the fascination about the near-death experience, again, to me, is not whether it can be proved by scientific or medical um, means, which, of course, you know, is a great interest as well. But I think what one of the main things for me is that these people come back from these experiences permanently changed. They live different kind of lives. They have different values. They do lose all fear of death. And so they are, you know, a very important um, example to us of of this place of, you know, penetrating beyond this sort of veil of consciousness and you know, all of these things, um, I don't kind of categorize them, whether it's psychic ability and after-death communication, a deathbed vision or an NDE or, you know, even our own personal experiences, perhaps in nature. I think they're all just means by which we transcend everyday consciousness and we get the idea of this something else going on. And so... Um, they're very powerful, these stories, because it's really the different outlook that the people have that these NDE survivors come back with, almost as though they've shed a skin. You know, they've shed this idea of who they thought they were, and they come back, you know, especially after this life review that most people go through, whereby, you know, one lady in the book, Tiffany, says, you know, I realized I needed to come back and make a different movie it's like they come become aligned to what actually is their true purpose in life and the way to use their own abilities and, and unique talents. And these changes are permanent. So, you know, something very profound has happened. Yes, and you know, I was just getting a thought here that one of the things I think that I, te that I teach my clients that resonates with me is that the ultimate reason we inhabit Earth is because we have a fear belief that we can be separate from the Creator. And if we can be separate from the Creator, we actually come into a body, which is the most separate form in most of, ex in most of existence, which is really validating that we believe we can be separate. And I think that when people on earth in the physical body have a near-death experience, they really re-merge with that feeling of oneness. Again, so their, their belief of separation, which brought them here on earth to begin with, is invalidated because mm -hmm. they have an experience that says you're one. There's more. You're not separate. You never were. And that comes through the music. And there are several forms that you go through in the stories depict music, light, the presence of divine love and energy. But I think ultimately, if people read this book, it's healing a core belief that brought every single person on earth to this earth is that they can be separate from that one source of all of life. Yeah, well, this certainly is the message that these people, you know, bring back that they reconnect with this idea of unity and wholeness, light and, and love. And um, so their whole way of being is changed. And, 
you know, very radical changes, you know, as in the stories in the book. These people are actually out in the world doing things, very different things, you know. Some have changed their whole way of life, the, the job they used to do, perhaps even the relationship they had or healed relationships. And very often they have very enhanced abilities, you know. They they suddenly realize they have healing abilities or they can channel healing abilities and i think it's this alignment is is what takes place they align themselves with their true identity rather than this ego-based identity that we actually live with for most of our lives you know through our conditioning through the way we're brought up through our religious beliefs um that they actually you know shed some of this and so this alignment enables them to to really be who they are in their highest sense. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. And as I was reading the book and, and experiencing that through some of the stories, I was seeing the higher self-alignment clairvoyantly. It was really neat because a lot of times when I read, I just see pictures. <laughs> I've had this pro- a, a gift with the burden, but this problem since college, I never understood it. But I was seeing through the um, book, and I thought, wow, that is so beautiful. This is really what they go and experience is, uh, they go indulge and they dip into their higher selves and then they come back with that greater sense of who they are. And as you as you had mentioned, they shed their former identity in in various ways, in various degrees. But the, and the, it really shows in the outcome of, I mean, just going and starting international nonprofits. You had more than one story of individuals who encountered a, an experience and. They they went and started these nonprofits at, with their heart, not with their wallet or with their degrees, and they now have grown into international. So the inspiration of what you're looking at on how it really impacts people when they get back and how they change their personalities, their morals, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I think it's so valuable. So that's exciting to hear. So more work to come. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's the same with after-death communication, you know. It's often very subtle, but it doesn't just happen very occasionally. Most of us get a sense when somebody closes past that they are trying to communicate with us. And, um, you know, people often ask, well, why would they want to do that? And I think, you know, we're talking about the same thing again. They do it because they want us to know that they are still there in some form. Yeah. Um, you know, they they are in this continuum of consciousness and, and they want us to know that. So, again, you know, I, I really point out that awareness, again, you know, it's fear that perhaps stops us actually being able to communicate with people who, who have made their transition. This fear is always a barrier. But actually, you know, when something like that does happen to us, and, and for an awful lot of people it does, it brings such a wonderful feeling of comfort and, and connection again to to the person. Um, and again, opens us up to this idea that, oh, you know, they're still there. We can feel their presence. Odd, odd synchronicities, very, you know, strange happenings that are so pertinently tied to the person that we know we're receiving some kind of, you know, message from them in one way or another. Yes, and I have to, again, the story of my grandmother was so powerful. We had, I said to her, you know, um, I always see 
spirits, I learned in biology that um, hummingbirds were the highest metabolic rate of any living bird. So I thought, oh, wow, right when they taught me that, I saw spirits around them, just clairvoyantly. I didn't understand that that's what I was seeing. I just knew. And I thought, that's interesting. So a few years later, here's my grandmother on her deathbed, and I said, you know, how do you want me to know that you're here once you've transitioned? And I said, you know, what's your symbol? And she said, how about a hummingbird? And I said, great, that's how I see him already. So it went well with my dogma. And and so then she she transitioned about 7.50-something p.m. on a Saturday night. And right after she transitioned, there was a knock at the front door. And uh-huh. we got up to answer it, and she was, there was nobody there. Uh-huh. Within seven days of that knock, there were three hummingbirds nests in that front area. Oh, well, that's of, such a wonderful story, you know. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And that's exactly amazing. how it happens. Yes, yes. You yes, know? and so it's amazing the the validation that I have received through this, and it's been able to help me teach others around me not to fear these experiences but to embrace them and look for the gold and look for that hummingbird and look for that slight message that is such a large sign that there's something more than this physical limitation. Yes. Well, I I, I totally agree. You know, I had a very similar experience that I write about in the book with a butterfly and my own mother and you know, I, I couldn't believe it when I was talking about the fact that my mother loved red monarch butterflies and how butterflies were so important. And, you know, I was in a place where you wouldn't expect to see one. And of there, suddenly, right in front of me, was a red monarch. And I just knew at that moment, oh, wow, yeah. you know. Yes, you just know. You feel it. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And, and also, some of my clients claim to have... Um, and I've had this myself too, but a lot of my clients have where they have dreams of their loved ones. So they'll have oh, yes, dreams. very much so. That interactive dream is another way people can receive that validation that they're still still in existence. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, it's very um, important to kind of actually say that, you know, in the dreaming state, this resistance we have actually is bypassed. And so we can receive after-death communication in a dream and we do know that this is very different from the ordinary kind of dream that we might normally have. Yes, that's true, because when I was 18 years old, it was my first um, dip into what was there. There was more, and I was taking a hypnosis class in college. <laughs> During a, One of my professors for psychology was a hypnosis um, leader, did a bunch of workshops. Within two weeks, my grandfather died, and my grandparents pretty much raised me in the culture that I was raised in. And my grandfather died, and within a week of that, I had a dream, and he came to me through an incense, and he, he said, anytime you have incense, I will appear. And it, But it was so faint, and at that point, I didn't quite comprehend it. And until my grandmother's death just last year, did it really make such a solid connection for me. I mean, I had always known it was real, through the dream experience, but then the validity through my grandmother's transition was just so powerful. It really brought to life the dream from him. Mm-hmm. It was really neat, really powerful stories. Well, what a beautiful, beautiful offering you have, and I just cannot thank you enough for bringing this book to life, Practicing Consciousness, Living, and Dying. 
Our true existence as a spirit is eternal, an infinite experience of growth and evolution. Embrace that truth today and begin to live the life that you came here to live. Be bold. It is an opportunity to create an experience for yourself and others on earth. Remember yourself as the love and joy that you are and have always been. It is derived directly from the heavens above. Coming up on March 20th is Dr. Susan Carroll to talk about her unifying book based on the oneness, Becoming One, People and Planet. And coming up for April on Evolution Revolution will be Jeff Brown with his captivating and telling book, Soul Shaping Adventures in Self-Creation, appearing on April 3rd. And on April 10th, Dr. Barbara Condren back to enlighten us about indigo children with her essential book, How to Raise an Indigo Child. On April 17th, Taylor Wilster will be back to share her newest novel based on A Course in Miracles called The Book of Mom, just out in time for Mother's Day. And I'm also honored to announce that Neil Donna Walsh will be appearing on Evolution Revolution on April 24th to discuss his latest book release, Happier Than God. Please join me in the upcoming weeks. And as always, please explore the Evolution Revolution archives. They're available 24 hours a day at no charge and include amazing talent such as Dr. Barbara Conran, Charles Virtue, Michael Tamora, Marla Martinson, Michael Brown, Richard Blackstone, David Robert Ord, Megan Skinner, Dr. Lisa Love, Jennifer Weigel, Betty Young, Taylor Wilster, and Paula Marie Jackson. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, counselor, who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. If you're interested, please contact me at lightforall at gmail.com or you can find my information on the Evolution Revolution homepage. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with my honored guest, Anna Maria Hemingway. Thank you so much, Anna Maria, for being here. We truly appreciate your wisdom and creation, practicing conscious living and dying. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to contact me or find any more information about the book, just go to my website, www practicingconsciouslivinganddying.com. Wonderful. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting Evolution Revolution. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles, and light. Angel blessings. Good night. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. No matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio.